hear the most annoying sound in the world? Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full-spectrum source for all things music insight and opinion. I'm Bill, and I'm joined here today with Connor and Steve. Hey, how's it going? What's up, dude? So, those of you who have been listening to the podcast, you've had a couple weeks here without your favorite personality, Connor. He's back. Yeah. <laughs> He's awake, dude. He's awake. He's definitely awake. Hey, um... Stute's woke. <laughs> So they in the past me, couple they weeks, have me propped up. <laughs> so in the past couple weeks, have you uh, encountered anything new or interesting, Connor? In music, yeah, uh, or anything. It could be whatever. Two weeks is a long time. Old time road. That's pretty interesting. That's funny. That, <laughs> that's I. I think that's new and interesting too for me. Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the song's uh, a tad bit dated, but it's like not going anywhere, which is really interesting. I keep seeing new videos of like him performing at schools and like shows. He actually performed before the first game of the Stanley Cup playoffs or the. You know, That's the hilarious. Stanley I mean, we've Cup heard series. of rap rock. Yeah, we've heard of uh, jazz rap. Yeah, we ain't really never had country rap. No, we well, haven't. you had no, no, no. You had Tim McGuire and Nelly back in the day. Oh yeah, that's uh, right. True. But that, I mean, that was big then as well as this is. Like, yeah, but huge Tim McGraw now. didn't rap on that though. No, I know, and that's the cool thing about it because Billy Ray Cyrus fucking. Kills it in the remix, dude. Yeah, dude. Dude slaps. He's come a long way since Achy Breaky Heart. <laughs> yeah, I was never a fan of Achy Breaky Heart. <laughs> I was when Stan Marsh's dad danced to it. You can't Stop tell Billy Mark. Ray that, though. He just wouldn't understand. No, he wouldn't. <laughs> so what about you, Steve? Um, So this is about a week or so dated, but there was news back on May 31st. Um, There's a Ronnie James Dio documentary that's officially going to happen. Now, is it going to be Dio himself or his hologram? Well, <laughs> I would hope for both, actually, <laughs> considering hologram shows cost a couple It would just be like the beginning dollars. of Jurassic Park with John Hammond. Oh, Hello, yeah. Hello, John. Yeah. Hello, Dio. Yeah. Hello, Dio. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, Hello, Ronnie. <laughs> but the news, it's stating that uh, Ronnie's widow, she was also a longtime manager, you know, conveniently named Wendy Dio, um, she, you know, obviously released facts about the documentary. So far, it is starting to film. The first thing that they did mention was uh, Wendy interviewed first Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath. Dio and him were like apparently best friends while oh, he was wow. time in Sabbath. So I'm fucking interested for that because definitely not going to a hologram show. So at least I can watch a documentary on one of metal's greatest musicians. Yeah, exactly. Anything Black Sabbath or Black Sabbath related is always entertaining. To always. Me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. On this day in music history. 1966, Janis Joplin makes her singing debut with Big Brother and the Holding Company at San Francisco's Avalon Ballroom. Oh, wow. Four years later, in October 4th, 1970, she would be joining the 27th Club, Forever 27 Club, rest in peace. Yep. Wow. Legendary. Year later, 1967, California's Magic Mountain Music Festival Considered the first rock music festival, features Jefferson Airplane, The Doors, The Birds, and a crowd of 15,000, although it will be dwarfed by the 200,000 at the Monterey Pop Festival the following weekend, which became far more historical. That's hilarious. Dude, Jefferson Airplane, The Doors, and The Birds in 1967. Yeah, it's pretty good. Holy fuck. I know Bill uh, probably doesn't give a fuck. About yeah, that Bill wouldn't up. have much to say about that show at all. Bill, do you know any birds tunes? I can't say I do. Mm. 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 It's okay. It's okay. Sorry. Most, most of them are covers anyway, honestly. We'll let the fans decide your fate. <laughs> 1971, police fire tear gas into the rowdy crowd at a Jethro Tull concert in Denver, but the band continues playing even though some of them have trouble seeing their instruments. <laughs> I'm picturing Ian Anderson up there with the flute busting this crazy solo and people just losing their mind through a trailer like yeah but 
fuck shit up in a Jethro. Yeah, Tone exactly. Concert. It's like we were talking about before with the Jackson 5 one. Yeah, it's a riot break. The flute there. is probably particularly difficult to play amidst the effects of tear gas. Yeah, I, I would agree I with that. definitely agree with that. I concur. Five years later, in 1976, Paul McCartney and Wings set a new indoor concert attendance record of 67,100 at the newly opened Kingdome in Seattle. That's wild. Are you a huge fan of the Wings? No, not at all. Lord, take me down. Yeah, to I mean, the obviously streets. everyone knows some of their songs, but I. They're just another day. They're just yeah, dude. Yeah. They're like, oh, they came on 102.9, and you know, the Wings. <laughs> I like. I mean, I like some of their songs. I like Jet. I like Band on the Run. Yeah. Uh, on other days, okay. Maybe yeah, I'm but, amazed. That's really just Paul McCartney, though. Exactly. Okay, 1978, John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John's Grease duet, You're the One That I Want, hits number one in the U.S. of A. Any uh, Grease, uh, John Travolta fans in the I house? I like Grease. I do, too. Grease is one of those, you know, one of those, like, Americana-type movies. Like, you have to see it. Like, yeah. If you haven't seen Grease, you're not American. I never liked Grease. But you've seen it. When I was like seven. Watch it again. I think that's where a lot of my personality developed from. That's when I started rocking the leather jackets and the cuffed up jeans Grease. and the boots. Yeah, I mean, as corny as it was, but you figure I'm not going out there to watch, you know, The Outsiders at age seven. 1991, The Temptations' David Ruffin's funeral is held in Detroit with attendees including Aretha Franklin, Stevie Wonder, and former bandmate Eddie Kendricks, who was arrested at the service for failure to pay child support. Do you imagine how fucked up that is? Do you go to your friend's funeral and get arrested over some stupid shit like child support? Yeah. He might not have even known. I mean, I don't know, yeah, the, it's a possibility. I don't know the details, but he might not. I mean, I guess he should have known that he... Uh, 1992, the Combined Law Enforcement Association of Texas calls for a boycott of Time Warner, whose label Sire is dip- distributing the song Cop Killer by Body Count, which is Ice-T's hardcore group. Six weeks later, the song is pulled from the album, but not before it sells over 500,000 copies, mostly due to the controversy. That song's awesome. Yeah, yeah it really is. It's actually really That awesome. was a crazy time. You had that, you had NWA, mm-hmm. and then you had uh, Two Live Crew. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, dude. Um, in 2000, ironically, the Marshall Mathers LP begins an eight-week run at number one in the U.S. Just, Eminem would go on to be the number one artist of the decade for the 2000s. On That's the topic, crazy. just real quick, between those two earlier albums, the Marshall Mathers and the Slim Shady LP, what's your favorite? Definitely Slim Shady LP. You like the Slim Shady LP better than Marshall? Mar- yeah, I like Eminem show even better than Marshall. Yeah, well, LP. Eminem show is really fucking good. Well, yeah, I would go Slim, uh, Eminem, Marshall, and then probably Relapse and then Encore, I guess. Yeah, well, I'm just like keeping between those three. I don't, know, what do you think, I don't know. Marshmallow's LP was pretty good. So if you had to put those three out there, the Eminem show, Slim Shady, and Marshall Mathers LP, like which order would you put them in? Just those three. I'd probably have to put Eminem show number one because mm-hmm. it's just like the time. But know? yeah, it's also like, you have to figure we were all like, that. yeah, when when that came out, we exactly. were older and more, you know. Um, it would probably have to go Eminem show, Marshall Mathers, and Slim Shady. How about you, Steve? My top three would have to be Slim Shady LP, Eminem show. Marshall Mathers LP. It has to be. Yeah, because I'm really thinking about it because Slim Shady LP, even though the Eminem show came out in the time where I was like actually getting into music. Slim is just better. Slim is just better. Yeah. yeah, looking back, like to be able to listen to them front to back, Slim Shady LP is just It's got a better sound and everything, yeah. But Eminem show is always a good go-to. Eminem show is like an arena rock album. Like I remember, yeah, I remember playing like middle school sports and listening to like Till I Collapse. Yeah. Till I Collapse. awesome. I think I just spent way more time on the Eminem show than like almost any other album ever. Well, yeah. Like you have to think of when it came out versus how many songs were on it and everything, dude. Like I probably listened to the Eminem show more times. Dude, than the Eminem show and Get Richard Die Trying were like on repeat when I was yeah. like fucking like preteen. Oh, yeah, they were huge. You know what's funny? Like kids these days aren't gonna like they don't realize how like monumental that shit was. No. Nah, nothing's monumental like that anymore except the Avengers and shit. Yeah. Yeah, music's really taken a turn because I think it's streaming. You don't get this much hype. You can just listen to it. I mean, I remember just hearing about an album and being so excited to go into any store and hope I could find the one with a sticker that said explicit content. 
Yeah, you know what I mean? That was that always was like a the big, big deal. deal. Putting it in that fucking six disc changer. I mean, you go back to people <laughs> with like tapes and records, same thing. But we were like that last generation of like really appreciating to go out and buy a fucking album. Yeah. Well, so, no, I mean like kids these days don't have rappers or artists like that anymore. You know yeah. what I mean? Like. Yeah. When kids these days think of Eminem, they think of like, oh, it's that old rapper guy. Yeah, getting shit talked on him because he's trying to go up against a more relevant rapper. Exactly. I'm not going to get into the whole MGK thing, but it is sad. Like, they lose the respect of what some of these fucking guys did. Yeah, it's just like you ask any of them kids. Well, then again, you give any of, the, any of those kids the Eminem show, they're going to shit all over. Yeah, they would probably think any fucking Gucci Mane or Migos album is better than anything Eminem put out just because of when they were born. But that's probably the same reason why some of us like Eminem show so much. I mean, yeah, there's probably that's kids true. that were like, coming up at the tail end of evident that think relapse and recovery are his best albums yeah so, people think that i really hope not <laughs> but it's possible music news today in music news we have ozzy osbourne where he wanted the original drummer bill ward on the final black sabbath tour um it says the final black sabbath tour which wrapped up two years ago allegedly wasn't what Osborne had in mind when considering a reunion. Osborne revealed his distaste with the tour in a recent interview with Kerrang, saying it just wasn't the same without the band's full original lineup. The band's original drummer, Bill Ward, was left off the bill. I mean, even in the sense of you know him being upset, like I can understand that not the original lineup for Sabbath. And who who drummed on the uh, who drummed on the tour? Like Ozzy's drummer, right? Yeah, it was Ozzy's. It was solo band. I mean, drummer. so yeah, I, I mean, forget I guess, his name. It's Tommy know, something. Tommy Clefados. Yeah. I mean, that's cool okay. that he at least respects the idea that he wanted the original line. But you figure even the last Sabbath album, you know, Bill Ward didn't even play on the album. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, if he's not well enough to get get going for the album, yeah. he's not going to be able to. Uh, do a tour. Do a tour. And yeah. I think, yeah, but it's cool that he probably is looking out not only just for himself, but like for the fans as well. Like you're going to see Sabbath, of course, you want to see the entire lineup. Yeah, you know he also played with Ted Nugent, Alice Cooper, Rob Zombie. Oh shit! Oh okay. Yeah, Higher Gun. Higher Gun. There you go. Um, it says in quotes here, Ozzy states, "I didn't like the fact that Bill Ward wasn't there for a start. People put that down to me, but it wasn't me, honestly. We didn't have the fucking time to hang around. We had to get going, but I'm sorry it didn't work out with Bill." Yeah, so that's cool. Like I said, he's just he was respecting the idea of trying to do an original Sabbath lineup for exactly. a final tour. And it's the same thing. Like if I'm paying to go see an artist and if like for instance, like the Who. Keith Moon's dead. I mean, but yeah, again, if no he reunion. was available and like there was an issue with trying to get the lineup together, I'd be a little upset if I couldn't see like the actual lineup. Well, know? exactly. Like back in like two thousand eight when Van Halen re- like announced that they were doing a reunion tour and Michael Anthony wasn't there. Yeah. It's like, well, it's not really a reunion tour. You just have David Lee Roth back in the band. Yeah. Like what the fuck? Yeah. He's seventy one too, so it's probably pretty hard for Bill Ward yeah, to it's uh, fucking, drum yeah, it's for not six months in Black Sabbath in a row. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, especially when you're playing Sabbath tunes. I mean and when you were in Black Sabbath for decades, and you're probably pretty damn tired the by now. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing in music news here, um, Steve's favorite topic, Metallica. Jesus Christ, dude. The Metallica <laughs> Initiative gives $1 million to 10 U.S. community colleges. Cool. The band has awarded $100,000 to Lone Star College to help students find careers in healthcare, transportation, oil, and gas mechatronics. I just need to make four good albums so people will still give a fuck about me in 30 years. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> award is part of the band's foundation, All Within My Hands, partnering with the American Association of Community Colleges. That partnership is part of a $1 million Metallica Scholars Grant that was distributed to 10 various community colleges. That's pretty cool. Where do they get all that money from? Uh, from the Napster suit? Probably. Yeah. I'd know, say. They felt bad for what they did. Here, we're going to train you guys to get good jobs so you can pay money for our my fucking music. Yeah, <laughs> um, It's saying here that the grants will help more than a 1,000 students obtain job training. It will also help students with things like daycare, work uniforms, and drug and alcohol testing. Cool. We'll help you get an education, but don't fucking download our music illegally. A million's a drop in the bucket in the hardwired to self-destruct piggy bank. <laughs> 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 Jesus Christ, dude. All right, so Connor, the last time you were on this podcast, the um, suggestion of the week was to watch Straight Outta Compton. Great movie. Insane movie. Yeah. Um, I believe Steve rated it an eight, nine? I think it was like an eight and a half or something. It, it was eight I forget and a half. what we I did an eight, it out. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
I'd probably give it an eight. You give it an eight? Yeah. Because when I was explaining to him, you know, it was like on par with what I was trying to talk about when you get to see documentary movies, but they're actually movies with actors. So you get to see more things that were talked about instead of shit that they actually have footage of. Exactly. Yeah, it's great when you get a good biopic. Like for me, the biopic that opened the door for me in music was Ray. Yeah. Like I remember when Ray came out, I was like blown the hell away. Yeah, I didn't realize how how fucked up he was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And NW, the straight out of Compton is definitely on that level. Yeah. And the big thing about, um, you know, that is it's funny because we were just talking about with like rappers. Yeah. It's a shame because there was such a great wave of like every genre, like every decade had a genre that was like prominent. Like you figure like the Define disco the scene, genre. like cla- yeah, classic rock scene, then like the metal and punk scene throughout the 80s. And then the whole thing about hip hop was, especially when it was like the East Coast, West Coast, like verses that really came to light and that made hip hop super main like mainstream oh, 100% but then you think about all the acts in the 80s and all the big bands and like artists that hyped up that movement and then the consistency through the 80s through the 90s even into the early 2000s of like quality fucking rap music yep. and it's gone dude everything people rap about now is money they don't it, have yeah and it's it's like and then you now, get now they rap about money they say they have or whatever yeah Yeah, that's what i mean yeah they just all don't shut the fuck up about how rich they are yeah well the thing is and i feel like back you know before tonight like today's time yeah rapping dude was almost like a it was like a telling of your environment where you came from where you want to go where your aspirations are and that's just gone now because you see it dude people show up and it's like next week they're fucking number one on billboard or you never even heard of them last week and now they're opening you know for whatever and the sad thing is too especially like rappers like tupac biggie even like mob deep nas they were able to put in their lyrics and especially with nwa coming against like the prejudice and the oppression they were facing and being able to like talk in their songs and get the aggression out and people to understand some of the shit that they were going through living in those environments today it's like they almost boast about the idea of the fucking shit they have to deal with and using that to get clout and get fucking stained to like show like how gangster they are like you know biggie tupac weren't going out there and loving to thrive in that neighborhood but they wanted to be able to like produce that awareness for people they like, did what, what the they could fuck? to survive at the exactly time. And, and it was real shit know. and like a lot of these rappers granted i mean like you know the whole story i don't know if you know the story with like bobby schmurter where he like did that whole about a week ago that fucking rap song and he like straight admitted to murders he's in prison now yeah but like some of these dudes are real and i get that but then a lot of these rap artists the problem is they're missing the whole purpose because you figure producers were a big deal djs were a big deal you know all the guys that were going to put effort into this record for the beats now you can see videos of how people can produce a soundcloud song just with like a mixer they downloaded for free off the internet and make a song that sounds just as good as like Migos or like Cardi B or anything that's out today. Well, it's like no talent required. Here's anymore. something we might have to try, and this might be a first for this podcast. We all have iPhones, yep. and all iPhones are loaded with GarageBand. Yeah, we should, honest to God, here try us us three individually try to make a rap beat or a song that's convincing enough only on our iPhones strictly. Yep. And we'll put them online, and we'll see what people think about them. Bro, I'm telling you right now, I saw it servicing on Facebook. It popped up. It was literally a minute-long clip. Guy was like, yo, I can make a uh, a mumble rap song in a minute. He went on SoundCloud. He, he had the, the mixer and everything downloaded like straight to his desktop. And in one minute, he made a song that, you know what I mean, sounded like, any Migo song. I'm telling you right now. It's crazy. Like it, it was, and it's funny because if I heard that on the radio, I would have assumed like this was a hit song. Like just the way, like with the, you know, the way they were able to change the voices, the mixers, you know, the auto tune, everything about it. It's so simple now. But you figure when these artists were going in the studio in the '90s and the '80s, and they got to do that can actually produce a beat. You got to notice the difference when you had a great producer on your team. Well, you take into consideration, like, uh, like as you saw in Straight Outta Compton, like what it took for Dre to make those beats in the studio. Yeah. Like back in those days, even before like NWA, like they used real studio musicians to play drums. Like I think it was on Dre's album Compton that yeah. came along with the movie. He did the old school thing. Like he had drummers in there. He had bass players in there. Yeah, that's why I really like, like it was like the legit. Roots. Like the Roots are like that, dude. Yeah, they had a whole band out there. Pump- you just don't get that now. Public Enemy had the Bomb Squad, who were like George Martin of rap. Like, yeah, yeah. 
they like on uh fear of a black planet they went crazy like there's yeah. like some songs have like dozens of samples in them which was like not done before that really like yeah. it's insane like you listen to it it's like tons of samples of like other songs like audio clips of like sampled uh dialogue on like police uh, scanners okay. and stuff yeah. it's like insane yeah i mean i don't know if it's because of the accessibility of everything now or it just illegal, how easy like, it is right after they did that album yeah 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 and i mean you know like it it gives an opportunity to maybe you know underprivileged people if you will like you know like finding a diamond in the rough if you will yeah but I feel like it definitely kind of loses the credibility of what rap was. Well, this is the thing, and too. And it, where it came from. What really gets me, because I, when I was listening to, like, classic rock as a kid, because that's just what my father listened to, and then I got really big into um, the Eminem shows we mentioned. I got really big into Get Rich or Die Trying when The Master came out, even when the documentary hit by the game. Like, these were the albums that, like, were really getting me into the rap scene to balance back and listen to, like, Illmatic by Nas and you know, the infamous by Mob Deep and like start like, you know, Wu-Tang. And it's funny because I used to have this weird feeling like, oh, okay, like there's nobody up there playing guitar. There's nobody up there actually playing drums. There's nobody actually up there playing the bass. And really it just comes down to how they record it. But then you really look at what these producers and these DJs had to do. And nowadays, like you say, with the technology, it makes it so much easier to make a beat. That's cool. But think about some of the lyrical content you were getting from these rappers, the flow, what they were producing through their words. Exactly. Well, yeah. You're missing that now. In the 90s, like, yeah, like, I mean, and now, like, you know, rappers don't bring, like, live bands on stage with them typically to, like, perform the live recorded parts on the album or whatever. But, um it's almost impossible. Like, they're in the 90s especially, like, some of them were making music that was like just it was like the Beatles. It was like unfeasible to try and even take that out on tour and bring all these musicians with you all the time everywhere. And yeah, exactly. Have this giant ensemble, like you know, what is Tupac wasn't trying to bring an orchestra or whatever with him on fucking tour. You know yeah, exactly. I mean? like, and I've mentioned it before too. With um, we had the one episode talking about like sellouts are evolving. And if you think about the whole genre of rap in general. A lot of these artists, and I, dude, even if you ask them their face, they probably never admit it, but like you look at them, it's, I guarantee you, most of artists today, especially in that genre, write for the radio, write for the money, write for the attention. You know what I mean? It's almost like you can't do anything involved with music nowadays without the intent to make money. Like, no. Are you familiar with like Takashi 6ix9ine? I've heard yeah, of it. He's, he's that dude in prison now, right? Well, yeah. The I mean, it's like going on with white colored teeth. It, yeah, it was funny because I know a lot of guys um, that were like into him. And like I said, like Bobby Schmurter when he was coming out, G Herbo, like all these underground decent rappers that just really were rapping for like the gangster atmosphere and having really no real direction. I mean, G Herbo is a little different, but Takashi 6ix9ine. You would hear his songs and people would know him. Like, there's a lot of songs that, like, are club songs. Like, yeah. you know, aggressive. But, dude, they had a video of him trying to freestyle. And, like, I could have done better. Like, my fucking 11-year-old nephew could have freestyled better than this dude. <laughs> and then that's where it gets me because a lot of these guys, like, there comes a level of a talent. And then there comes a level of having a ghostwriter to write some lyrics for you and then put you on a stage just to perform it for a crowd. Well, dude, yeah, here's the thing. Nothing. Anyone can really write lyrics. It's, it's not hard. Anyone can rhyme a word with another word, but it takes a special type of individual to make all that shit make sense. Yeah, dude. And like that's even with like Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne used to be like a craftsman oh, yeah. with his yeah. fucking lyrical content. And like they talk about like all the lean and all the shit he's doing. Some of these dudes are just like getting high and being junkies and they don't even realize it. And then their art suffers as a result. Then it becomes more monotone. It becomes more basic that you lose that real like the analogies and the metaphors and the real deep impact of rap. Exactly. Like Eminem, awesome for that. Biggie, I, Tupac. Even Kanye. Like, Kanye's early shit, dude. Yeah. Dude, I even like Life of Pablo. Like, yeah. I listened to Life of Pablo. I thought that was a pretty good album. Yeah. I think there's that song. What was the song? I really, Friends or Good Friends or something. That song's really good. I what thought. was the one album? College Dropout or something like that? Uh, I think the first album was College Dropout. The that was next with The one Wire. Was late regis- yeah, Late Registration. The, remember The Wire? Right after he got in a car accident? His fucking mouth wired shut. 
Never I thought think he was that gonna was rap the first again. one. Because that was like the big hit the that came out was when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was mean? before the first album. Yeah, that had like All Falls Down, Jesus Walks. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then there was Late Registration, and then College Dropout. Yep. And then I think 808s and Heartbreak. Yeah, and I mean, even like... Um, then maybe My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. I might be missing one. I don't know. I've sure. listened to most of the Kanye stuff. Yeah, I mean, even like if you think of the progression, um, you know, from the 80s to the 90s to the 2000s, like as I said, I, for me, and it's it could be biased because it's like my age and when I grew up and when things were popular, but the early 2000s was like that last great wave of popular as well as still conscious hip hop. Oh, yeah. You know, because then once 100%. it got to like the 2010s era, it just started really becoming about the radio and the club and like you started, re- you were more so listening to the beat and the flow than what these people were actually saying. Well, like 50 yeah. Cent was like the probably the closest thing to a version of like these like made up like hit driven rappers but a 50 cent still had substance like he still yeah. came from a real situation and yeah and his music reflected and that. his music yeah. reflected it like he actually was a good personality like that people could connect to yeah you know what i mean like the new people yeah. don't have that well it's funny too because you also got to see that rap scene it what? really mattered of like who you were with because you figure the game when he was part of G unit. Well, that's they recorded the, the documentary. Say, 50 cent passed it, paid it forward. Yeah. You know, he kept it going and he proved himself. Yeah. He really tried with that. It was the same thing with like shady aftermath and getting those articles. I mean, he really, you know, drain him really discovered 50, and then, you know, and yeah, then, did the game. Yeah. but it was funny because when the game left and got off of Dre records and everything with 50 cent and G unit, he kind of became irrelevant. The documentary was little huge, shit. dude. <laughs> the documentary was huge when that came out. Remember, like how we do, yeah, you know? Yeah, of course. I mean, but yeah, you get to really see like how that really matters of how the scene progresses and who you're involved with. But nowadays, dude, like I said, man, like some of these rappers, just you can be nobody, fucking nowhere. Well, dude, even if you think about like uh, <laughs> like Post Malone, like that dude literally like came out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, literally nowhere. Yeah, I remember the first time I heard Rockstar, I didn't even know it was a white dude rapping on that. Yeah. And I saw it, I'm like, who the fuck? But, yo, I'm not, not even alive. Dude, I've, here's R- the thing, though. Dude, I listen to Ball for me at least three times a day. You gotta, like, actually, here's the thing. A lot of these guys, and I'll watch videos of them, like, in a personal level. It's to not see bad. How they, I just don't, not my Yeah, music-wise, not a huge fan of Post Malone, yeah. but as a person, dude, he's fucking, like, down to earth. Yeah. He did a Rage Against the Machine cover. He did a Nirvana cover. Like, well, he's Rage actually, Against the Machine cover, dude. What do you think he did? Bulls on Parade. Killing in the name. Mm-hmm. Did he play it on guitar? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, dude, it was, like, a legit band and everything. And it's funny because I'm not using that to say like, oh, he's playing a song of a band that I like. No, it was more so I got to see interviews and his personality and he's not the type of guy with the tattoos on his face that's like a dick. You know, he's actually like a real person and he's actually putting his heart into some of his songs. And I'll respect that. There's like something going around on Facebook right now where someone took a picture of him in Walmart with yeah, the with gun the on gun, his head. Yeah. yeah, he supports open carry. Yeah, I mean, I can't really blame him. If I was famous like that and still went to Walmart, I probably wouldn't want to deal yeah. with that kind of shit That's the thing. without you don't, a gun. You don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, then again, you think about it. Post Malone actually had it out in the open. How many of these rappers go to Walmart, per se, yeah, really? and have the shit and you just can't see it, and it's not legal? Honestly, like going back to his lyrical style and his content and his flow and everything, yeah. I think Eminem might be one of the... Well, well, I, in my opinion, I think he is the greatest because of mm. the way he's able to twist words, the way he's able to twist phrases. Yeah. His flow is just insane. He also he's in is my a, top ten. Top ten? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's not in my top, top five. five I don't think so. He's in my top five. That because you have to think Eminem produced songs that you could just listen to as like straight just just bars, no hook, no chorus, exactly. Just, but then he had other songs where they had that catchy chorus that you could hum back to yourself. And a lot of it, like it was almost like called horror rap when he was coming out because a lot of shit he was talking about was like unheard of. Yeah, I mean, dude, he's talking about like fucking killing his girlfriend driving her off a bridge the whole stand song i mean it's just a lot of that stuff was really deep and at that point in time it appealed to so many people but then yeah i mean you think about the earlier rappers that led to that i mean even tupac biggie Tupac's especially my number one you think really yeah. you like tupac better than biggie oh yeah you like tupac better than nas yeah well okay i think Pac's more consistent than nas i well i agree with consistency definitely yeah. on that 
But I think Biggie, I think his highs are I think higher. Biggie is just as consistent as Tupac. Yeah, yeah but, but Biggie I think only Biggie had, had two albums. Flow. So did I. Biggie only had two albums. Pac well, whose like fucking six. fault is that, dude? <laughs> if Biggie, Biggie had more than two albums, dude, he he would have been fucking even bigger than what he was. Well, he was problem... on a track for major success. Yeah, well, the problem yeah, is you, you had you fucking... can't really pull a consistency fucking argument with someone who only has. Yeah, but two even albums. if you like, listen the Sex to his mixtapes, real consistent too. No, they actually weren't, dude. Let's debate that because even the fact that they had the one album, their they still were real weren't consistent. consistent. Their albums were consistent. Their album was consistently oh, good. Dude, it's everything after that. It's the shows, it's the performances, and it's also the songs. Because you figure how they many were songs. consistently the Sex Pistols. They were. He was consistently Biggie Smalls. He was consistently Tupac. He didn't have a lot of time to be consistent. Is my point. Yeah, but even God his mixtapes from back before buttons. Ready to Die. Yeah, like, I never it listened was, to him, dude. It's the same, same Biggie Smalls, the same Notorious B.I.G. Same yeah. guy, same here, songs. No, no, not the same songs, but like the same flow, the same feel. Yeah. Like it's almost like he didn't have to evolve because he had already been evolved. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's also too going back. Like it's hard to compare an artist when you only have so much catalog between them. So what I try to do exactly. is like limit it. Like, for instance, you pick like Tupac's two best albums and put them next to Biggie's two best albums. You have to try to limit it because, yeah, great. Like, Tupac obviously went further. It's the same thing with like Nirvana. Like, which way would they have gone? Would they have de-evolved or would they have become better? And going yeah. back to the hip-hop sense, it's like, was Biggie going to go upwards? That's one thing gonna... I will say is that I don't know if Tupac has anything that's as good as Ready to Die. Dude, it's, yeah. Yeah, but, Ready to Die is the fucking shit. But at the same time, yeah. I don't know. Like, I think dude, Apocalypse Now is it's, pretty fucking It's fucking good. good. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie, good. dude. But at the same time, it's the same thing with like other bands. Tupac, I could probably make a playlist of twenty songs by Tupac and love every single one of them. But even Apocalypse Now, I'll put on Ready to Die before that and listen to it from front to back. Yeah, before that. Well, yeah, because Ready to Die is it's like just such a good album. Ready to Die is more fully formed than Tupacalypse Now. Yeah, and like uh, I said, I mean, it's, I just, it's got hits on it. Tupacalypse Now had no hits. Well, yeah. it's almost like you know, like how they talk about um, like artists being hungry and like making something. Yeah, I feel like Biggie Smalls never lost that, like at all. Yeah, like dude, like the same intensity that's on Ready to Die is on Life After Death. Tupac was still intense, fucking ten years after he died. <laughs> Didn't he have a hologram show too? He yeah. did. That's what I'm saying. He's out there fucking digital killing it, dude. Maybe even in Cuba. <laughs> but no, dude. <laughs> you have to think too, also with the differences in like the West Coast, East Coast scene with um, you know, Suge and what they were doing over there, as well as like, you know, P Diddy. Diddy. Was he was he Puff Daddy back then? Puff Daddy, Puff or, Diddy, P, P Diddy. Diddy. Yeah. So either way, I mean, the problem is you have a lot of these producers that try to set because, like, even P Diddy, like when Biggie was starting to get big, started putting them on like boats and like yeah, you know, chinchilla coats and making them really out there as his figure, and he enjoyed it. But at the same time, yeah, you like you said, you never lost the consistency in his rap for that like hungry aggression. Yeah, exactly where he came from. Like Tupac, Tupac had a few songs that were like just hit hits you know what i mean they weren't really they were like almost like what <sighs> fucking california love that shit's a banger, no that's man. a that's a fire fucking song. But yeah but 100 fire song, song though dude that's really like it's not Hail all Mary. eyes on me huh it's not all eyes yeah on but i'm me. saying that was like a hit hit song but it was good yeah. there's a couple other ones you know the song i get around yes so like that's what i was kind of getting towards two pop huh it's not terrible. It's not terrible, but it's the idea he was more so making a song for like the culture. Like now I'm rich. Here's my life. I get around his name of song, and I'm gonna say like it's not a bad song. I enjoy it. But here's the thing: Tupac had so much time, and like you were mentioning earlier too, with like the idea of him being in movies and being more relevant. And he was also a supreme, ad, you know, like advocator for what was going on and the oppression that you know the culture was feeling at the time. Mm -hmm. So I agree. Like Tupac is he's in my top five. But I'm saying when you put two albums next to each other, and if you had the two of them just on lyrical content, raps, and the songs that they were produced, if you had to match up the amount of songs in each one's catalog and not really stress the idea of how much more time Tupac had, overall, Biggie, I think it's, I think it's just the difference. I really appreciate the, the East Coast vibe. Yeah, 100%. Like, Illmatic is better than Tupacalypse now, in my opinion. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would agree. Uh... 
They're close. Illmatic close. is just, yeah, dude. And But that's the thing. Another one, because Nas was not consistent. And I, you mentioned that. Yeah. Like, that's the idea. I think Tupac is the most evolved. But, it, ah, but is anything Nas did as good as All Eyes on Me? You think Illmatic's better than All Eyes yeah. on Me? Really? Illmatic's probably my, my top five. Albums ever? No, in that genre. Okay. Yeah. We're also forgetting one huge East Coast rap group, the Beastie Boys. Of course. Yeah, I mean, huge. Yeah, they they made some great music. Yeah, insane. I recently music. uncovered Timeless some music. questionable uh, interview snippets from them from the eighties. Yeah. yeah, I forget. How I forget so? which one, but one of them said that he like hated fags in an interview, and then the other one like <laughs> defended him and said like, "Well, you got to understand, like if you grew up in New York like oh us, they're God. just like all over the place." <laughs> like, <laughs> you're trying to walk down the street. You're, he said something like, "You're trying to walk down the street when you're eight years old, and like they're just everywhere, and you're just trying to like get a piece of gum or something." Um, yeah, he said that's something funny. Stupid like that. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong though. The Beastie Boys. You can just tell from their fucking career arc if you listen to their albums that they matured. As, oh like, yeah, one hundred percent. Like, like you listen to License, like, to, License to Ill, to Ill yeah. versus like Sabotage. Yeah, that that yeah. yeah Paul's even, Boutique. Even yeah, yeah, even went further than that with maturity. But like, um, yeah. So like, they were young when they made those comments. Like yeah. they were like twenty four oh, yeah. or something. So I mean, I'm pretty sure we've all said stupid shit. We've all yeah, exactly. We all have said stupid shit, and we didn't do anything cool enough to have to worry about anybody talking exactly. about it in their basement thirty five <laughs> years later. Um, but it's dude, go like when you bring them up and you talk about like living in the New York style, that whole East Coast scene. That's why I bring it up. I think there was just like more raw edge to it. It's the same thing with, like, sports, you know what I mean? When you come to the east side of the nation and you get, like, Philly sports and New York sports, um, you know, you get all these teams and, like, Jersey itself. I mean, there's just so much raw edge, and I think that's what came from the music as well. It was more like aggression in your face because the, the Cali style, the whole West Coast scene, the gangster yeah. rap scene was tough, dude. Like, it was, like, Snoop coming out of there. NWA obviously started that fucking vibe. And, but I think yeah. eventually over time progressed to what you see today, that like laid back, let me rap about what I got and let me just like kind of yeah. show off to what the that luxuries bring from coming sure. out. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. But mm-hmm. that's also where you say level of consistency because Nas fell off in the sense of like how incredible his music was becoming, but he never became that figure. Like, you remember like when fucking Pete Diddy was having those videos and like just always like dancing and like showing off and you know what i mean like bad boy records kind of went that direction but there's other east coast rappers that really yeah that's the thing too though puff daddy was like a character no dude well that was he's like dj Khaled, dude yeah that was why they all hated him on the west coast because they like suge knight used to say like he didn't he would fucking sign new rappers and not it was like hit him up feature on all their songs like fucking puff daddy p diddy whatever uh would you know, sign a new hot young rapper and then make them have him get a verse on their songs yep. so that he oh, could shit. increase his own fame at the same time. Well, I mean, that's nothing against Puff. I mean, he, he can rap to an extent. Suge, Suge just butthurt. He Listen, does man. not belong on tracks with Biggie, though. Listen, man, I can no, see Puff no, no, Daddy no. sharing a fucking track with, like, Will Smith. Right? Exactly. Not, not Biggie. Exactly. Like, you ain't even in the... the bro, you're not even... East Coast grit. Yeah, dude, fucking big you're Will not... Style. Like, like, like <laughs> P. Diddy in the rap game ain't even in the minor leagues if Biggie was in the majors. You know what I mean? Like, he's not. he shouldn't oh, even yeah. be there. And I get he was, like, more of a hype man, but he tried to really put his face out there to become a member side-by-side. Will Smith don't got a like you didn't see Suge going out there and dropping fucking bars while they were recording with you know any of those groups like you see yeah. Suge fe- featured on an Ice Cube track rapping no no Snoop track business yeah that's well, what I'm saying it was well, a whole business and he allowed well, you wouldn't see Suge on an Ice Cube track anyway they weren't even affiliated I'm talking about like in the NWA days Suge Knight was not affiliated with NWA I'm talking all. about after Snoop and all of them disbanded, and you obviously never saw Suge become part of these West Coast rappers. Oh, well, because Suge had no fucking talent, dude. He was just a big-ass fucking guy. So you're guy. saying Pete Diddy had sincere talent to be out there rapping? No, no, no I'm saying he may have had more talent than Suge yeah. Knight. I mean, obviously, I think Pete Diddy would win in a rap battle versus Well, Shug, here's but... the thing, dude. Uh, my, my whole thing with Puff Daddy is he had a vision, right? He had a vision, yeah. and he knew how to get to it. He knew what to do in the proper channels in order to get it yeah. done. 
Suge was just a fucking big dude that just pushed his way into getting what he wanted. Kind of. He he didn't really have a vision. It was just I'm gonna be the biggest fucking guy around, and that's it. I would I would if you're in my it, way. I'm gonna stop your. Ass. I would equate it more to, uh, Diddy was more of a snake, and figured shit out better. Yeah, and he well, was trying I mean, to build like a major label, and. Yeah. Suge was kind of like a hustler who got lucky a bunch of times, in mm-hmm. addition to his hard work. But um, at the yeah, same exactly. time, coming in the midst of chaos, he was trying to build rappers. like a Motown, like in-house yeah. type of thing. <laughs> yeah. And well, he had all he had all of the um, you know, he had all the ingredients to yeah, do exactly. that. Exactly, and that's how he, he was. He was thinking, how can I keep this so it can be controlled in-house by me? Exactly. Yeah, but the shit mean. got out of control, and mostly, mostly part of him too. Well, Pac and Snoop didn't want them him to be their boss, so they got tired yeah. of it by the. Well, by I mean, like end. even like the people, like um, what was the one documentary? Uh, Welcome to Death Row. Did you ever see that? Nah, I never saw it. It shows like the inside workings of how that whole record label was, and it was like twenty four seven crazy yeah. fucking like gangster parties. Yeah. And it was shit that even like Suge couldn't control to an extent. They would never say that he couldn't control it, but I'm pretty sure when he was sitting at home, he was probably wondering, is the building going to burn the fuck down while I'm not there? Yeah. I do find it funny, though, is that Bad Boy is now owned or is now a partner under Interscope. Yeah, it's fucking, <laughs> yeah, it's all come for full circle. So, so exactly. we'll come to the conclusion that you're pretty much trying to put Suge Knight. He was like the Barry it's Gordon. It's all owned by corporate America. He's like Barry Gordon. <laughs> Motown, um, but before we wrap this up, since we're kind of talking about like old school, yeah, I, mean, I want to, yeah, I want to hear opinions. On the like, new stuff. what is there anything out there? We'll just go around, start Bill, go around. Is there anything out there today, rapper wise, that's like consistent enough where you can really, really listen to it? It's gonna sound like a joke, but Little Dicky. I feel like he's like this generation's version. Okay, of but I think he transcends of what uh, you know what I mean. The idea of like real conscious hip hop. He's kind of like Kendrick Lamar fun. is the only one that really comes. Yeah, Kendrick Lamar yeah. to mind. Yeah. He's the only one that tries, you know, to uphold the classic like uh, traditions of it. Really. Yeah, it's crazy. Or even that dude that you showed us. Oh uh, yeah, time. I mean yeah, Denzel Curry. Denzel he's so Curry. new Denzel though Curry. that he's only got. A, I mean, I haven't dug too much into his stuff, but that one, that yeah. song "Black Balloons" really impressed me a couple of mo- uh, months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. What about you? Steve? I um. I don't know, man. I mean, even like Lil Wayne's recording a new album, and I'm probably definitely gonna listen to it just to fucking try. Ain't been shit since that's, the Carter Three. That's what I'm saying. But I'll I'll listen to it. It's like I always because I remember when I heard Dedication Two, that mixtape. That's what really propelled me in a little way, and I just know the potential that's out there. But like newer rappers, dude. Um, I mean, there's just really nothing out there right now that I can honestly say like this is like good music. Because like you said, Lil Dicky, I can get into it, but I don't get into it the same way that I listen to like. Mob Deep, same way I listen to Wu Tang, same time like ODB, yeah. like all these other rappers. I don't really think because like like I mentioned a couple guys earlier, like G Herbo. Um, I get a lot of shit for listening to him because he's a lot of real heavy gangster rap, but his flow is really good. Um, Dave East is a really good artist. Like I mentioned, G Herbo. There's a lot of guys that rap these really good gangster rap songs. I mean, there's actually a song called "Wrote My Way Out." Um, it's Nas, Davies, Lin Manuel, uh, Miranda, and Aloe Black, and you got you got to listen to Davies because a lot of these videos too are really cool because they're like storylines, like of something happening throughout the song. Oh, okay. But Davies, man, w- on this track featuring with Nas, I mean, he's really prominent, Davies. But there's a lot of other stuff that he does, and dude, it's real rap. Like it's 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 conscious hip hop. It's got a beat behind it. You can feel it, and like the like you feel the aggression. That shit's just not promoted anymore. That's what sucks, man. Because if you're not yeah. writing this poppy hit song with a repetitive chorus that people can hum along to, like you ain't getting play. If you, if you yeah. don't have that, you don't gotta tell me nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Label ain't gonna hear it. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, but the song, there's a song also by Davies with Nas. It's called The Hated. It's, dude, the video is like 15 minutes long. It does this whole story throughout it. And it's really fucking good. <laughs> All right, well, to wrap up this topic here, do you feel like, do you feel like rap has evolved or digressed? Oh, completely digressed. So, this is not, not even a question. question. Yeah. So rock. Do you All think there's music. a possibility with some of these newer artists coming out to where rap can get up to like the pedestal that it was I on? I think it's on a 
Or do you think it's I knows? don't think it's on like a done yeah. spiral. I think it's just going to evolve to the idea where we're going to be those typical like old people type figures. Like you guys yeah. don't know real me, but everybody's going to be so accustomed to this. So this is going to be us like listening to like metal and the people that love classic rock in the 60s are going to be like, that's yeah, garbage. Exactly. It kind of takes a, cl- a conscious audience to demand better music, too. Like, yeah, if exactly. everyone's fine with the horse shit that these, you know, 10 producers can keep cranking out with different performers, then they're going to yeah. keep giving it to us because it's easy. Yep. You know? So last week, we told you guys, well, suggested for you guys to we watch demanded. singles. Yeah. <laughs> We're demanding things here on Rage Against the Mainstream. Um, we suggested to watch the movie Singles, directed by Cameron Crowe. Classic. Dude, it's- this movie is, um, well, I don't know if you guys ever heard this, but apparently it was supposed to be, well, it is basically the precursor to the show Friends. Basically, Friends was supposed to be Singles, the TV yeah. series. And um, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's one of those movies where you watch it and it's instant nostalgia. It takes you right back to ni- the 1990s, early 90s, uh, Seattle grunge era. Yeah. Um, a lot of good cameos. Rest yeah, a lot of really Bruce good Cornell. cameos. Rest in peace, Lane Staley. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it basically centers around an apartment building you know, that has singles, single bedroom apartments available. And it's just the love lives of three particular groups of people. And, you know, this shit they go through on a daily basis. And, you know, there's a lot of really good music cameos in there. I believe Alice in Chains was playing It Ain't Like yeah. That in the they, club. I think they play Wood. Yeah. They're playing Wood. No, they played It Ain't you Like sure? That, too. Oh, the first the first club scene Soundgarden they show. performs, too. And then there's that other scene where you see, of course, Cornell with Matt Dillon's arguing with his girl on the street. Um but yeah, just also what's mentioned too, Pearl Jam is centered around it. However, Matt Dillon is actually the singer for this band that's all Pearl Jam members with Matt Dillon involved. Citizen Citizen Dick. Dick. <laughs> Eddie Vedder's the drummer. Yeah. I think Jeff Amon's actually the guitar yeah. player in Stone yeah, Gossard's they just, the Well, it's player. funny. Apparently, <laughs> when they decided upon like what uh, like instruments they were going to play, they all like picked instruments that they like wished they could play. Like they all got to pick yeah. the ones that like they don't typically play, but they like actually went and like said like I wish I could play this instrument. That's yeah. funny. This movie's like the friend. It's like friends. It's okay to like. Yeah, like I'm yeah. totally cool with admitting that I love singles, but I'll never. I, and it's not even like I have to forcibly say I don't like friends. It's yeah, just when it's, it's on, just, I'm like, I, yeah, annoyed. I don't like it. I'm not gonna lie, yeah, it's exactly. Like Grey's Anatomy to me. Yeah. I'm not a fucking <laughs> fan. Dude. It's white bread as hell. Vanilla so, as um, fuck. So, um, with this movie on our one to ten score, what would you give this movie? Sixty. <laughs> you give it a six? No, I said sixty. Oh, like, sixty out of ten. I'm just kidding. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's classic. It's good. It's definitely better than your average love story. Uh, I don't want to give it an eight because I gave fucking straight out of Compton an eight, but maybe like seven point eight. I was gonna give it a seven point five. Yeah, I was gonna give it a like around seven point five. Because it's one of those movies you can watch. Nothing crazy happens into it to the point where it's like you can just watch it again. Yeah, it's just like I could have that on in the background of like doing something. You know, exactly. Like I don't have no like if I peek over at it, it's funny. It's and it's also one of those movies where it comes on TV. You want to watch it? Yeah. Like that's the thing. If I'm just scrolling channels and I'm bored and I'm going to bed and I see singles on, I'll put it on. Whatever. Well, you heard it here, guys. So seven, eight, seven, five. What'd you say? Seven, five, eight. Seven, five, so 14, I guess seven, yeah, twenty-two. Seven, so we're about at a yeah, we're about at like a seven point eight, seven point seven. And uh, let's see, Rotten Tomatoes gave the movie a seventy-nine percent. Um, the audience score seventy-two percent, and IMDb gave it a six point seven out of ten. Just on par. Yeah, we're right on par. Um, the re- I got two reviews here from it. Um, the Seattle Times says this is one happy happy ending romance that doesn't feel forced. You can't help getting into the spirit That's, of it. Yeah. Um, and then Stephen Ree from the Philadelphia Inquirer says, uh, "Crow's movie is like a great record album. The songs connect and the people connect too." Yeah. Perfect. It is. It's just like a like one of those like fitting the puzzle films. Like it's just nice to watch. Exactly. Never go out of my way to like recommend it, but if especially if you're into the Seattle grunge scene and like that early '90s alternative vibe and just you know the whole '90s movie era and late '80s, it's good to watch. Good yeah. to watch. 
All right, so now we're going <laughs> to... All right, so we're going to roll into our personal suggestions for this week. Um, I'll start this one. Um, my suggestion this week is to listen to the new album by Parkway Drive called Reverence. I'm not going to lie. I hate majority of that scene, but I, I can get down with Parkway from time to time. You, you should check out yeah, this you album. You showed me I that new As like I Lay Dying shit, and the only one I can really get into is An Ocean Between Us. Uh, with yeah. like within destruction, the uh, sound of truth, and stuff. This, this album's pretty good. I, I think you'd like it. Album? Yeah, I'll check it out. Album. Yeah, I'll give it a give it a shot. Okay, I'm going to direct people to hopefully check out the 1977 debut album by British po- post punk band Wire entitled Pink Flag. Excellent fucking album. This, this album's fucking yeah, it's really great. Um, or I was kind of scrambling for a recommendation, and I figured I'd turn to a tried and true classic here. If you just want a couple songs to check out, uh, Mannequin's really great. Um, X Line Tamer, Rooters, yeah, there's it's all classics, but those those will get you going. It's a really good album. Nice. What do you got? Steve? So in recent news, uh, this was a little while ago. Stephen Malkmus, uh, he's actually of the alternative band Pavement. Yeah, um, if you're into that sound, especially like Modest Mouse, Built to Spill, Zabato, Pavement, obviously, um, because he's in entertaining the idea of a reunion, which would be interesting. The album I'm going to recommend is called Slanted and Enchanted. came out in 92. Classic. It's a great album. It's a fucking oh, yeah. great album, especially if you're into that alternative scene of the 90s. Like You'll enjoy this. Wowie's okay. Owie's my favorite. Awesome. But... What? Crooked Rain? No, Wowie's Owie's my oh, favorite. Really? Yeah. Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain's my favorite. Yeah, like I that. probably like Wowie's Alley, then Slanted, then Crooked, and then the last two. About yeah, the same. Planet Enchanted is shit, though. I think that's a good start. Planet Enchanted does have the best sound. Yeah, My favorite real... songs are just on Wowie's Alley. Yeah. All right. Those are three good suggestions. We uh, hope you guys actually listen to our suggestions. And then next week, we are going to suggest to watch the movie Rush. Beyond the Lighted Stage. It's on Netflix. Um, it's a full documentary about the band Rush, you know, Canadian giant music group, um, all the way from their humble beginnings until their mega fan base they have to now. To their peak when Alex Lifeson appeared on the Canadian hit uh, comedy show Trailer Park Boys. True. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that about wraps it up for this week. Make sure you tune in next week. Once again, like thank all you guys for listening and helping us keeping this podcast going. This is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off. I'm Bill. Connor. Steve. Have a good night, guys. Thanks for listening.